Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl. But it takes me into the bathroom and says, this is how you brush your teeth. Brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat. But there were two girls, and it was like, you'll have to give us a ride. You can't fill us, though. He can't refuse us. He'll let us in his car. Thoughts were all alone in this empty void. You know, the head of the fishbowl. This doesn't look right. They got close enough where he said he could see. Welcome to Good Spirit Normal, guys. I am here in the Studio B, as I like to call it, otherwise known as my apartment. Uh, decided to go ahead and do... A little short interview because there have been some developments over the weekend. And by the time you hear this, it's probably going to be really old news. But the New York Times and Washington Post and several other news outlets have put out about a Pentagon study that has that has been that was done from I think 2007 to 2012. All about UFOs, and apparently this has been really big news the last few, the last few days. So I have Chris Wolford. Hello. And I have Soraya. Hello. Soraya is so welcome back to the show, man. Um, I both of you guys really respect your opinions on this, and I am kind of the person that's kind of like more woefully uninformed. I have read the New York Times article. And I'm kind of sitting here, I've seen all the posts on Facebook, everybody amazed about this, and I'm kind of sitting here like thinking, what's what's the big deal? So, Chris, let's start with you. What's going on with this? What is well, this all about? I will keep it short and sweet. Okay. The media blitz has not been seen like this before since 1952 with the overflights over Washington, D.C., the news media has covered this topic as fodder of ridicule and just made fun of it. 
yes, there are some kind of not so kind things that some of these news outlets that have been talking about this Pentagon uh, project that Harry Reid gave the funding to um, or funneled the money to or through. Um, so that's significant. I mean, you, you have, from Saturday till today, I counted 35 different news outlets. Has that happened in modern-day ufology? And I hate, I hate that word, but it hasn't. And really, um, I, I hate to say it, but this is more like confirmation. I know of what you're saying what, I don't know. That's a fantastic question. Who knows what this is? But it's confirmation. It's not disclosure. <laughs> it's confirmation because it's the U.S. government admitting or elements that were part of the U.S. government admitting that this program did exist and uh, late-breaking development. Uh, Louis Elizondo was on CNN at 7 o'clock tonight, and he has maintained that that program is still going on to this very day. So if that is the case, then they very much are still studying this phenomenon. And that is, that's mind-blowing because supposedly 1969, after they shut down Blue Book, they washed their hands of it and said there was nothing sure. of any importance. So this is huge. This is really huge. Okay, so this was a, I guess, was instigated by... Harry Reid, the Senate uh, minority leader. Yep. And a couple of other senators that have now passed on. Uh, yep. One of which I think was Ted Stevens. Mm -hmm. which is and the, then the, Daniel Inouye. Yes. I can't, I can't yep. quite pronounce yep. the name. From but he was, Hawaii, the guy who famously talked about the, uh, during the Iran Contra scandal that there is a secret government. Yeah, and then yeah. the C-SPAN went to you know to commercial break or whatever. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. Him, yeah. And, yeah. And, and and Ted Stevens was the one that called the uh, internet a series of tubes, unfortunately. Yep. <laughs> but uh, I actually mentioned that the other night of the roundtable I did with Soraya. But okay, so but most of this I think was farmed out to Robert Bigelow. No, the study. entire contract was. From okay. Robert Biglow to Robert Biglow. Gotcha. So basically, it was, you know, I guess NIDS 3.0, but now with $22 million, which really for him is a drop in the bucket because he's a billionaire too. And, you know, obviously they studied this phenomenon. Uh, they have videos of it, they've apparently have material. From one of the articles I read, they have material in a warehouse of stuff associated with this phenomenon. Now, you know, the, the thing of the today on Facebook was trying to figure out what does that mean? You know, some people are saying that's just all, like, they're bluffing and that's total BS. I tend to think there's something to it because every time Robert Bigelow has wanted something or did something, he's done it and he's or he's got what he's wanted. He's not going to just get a contract and get the government not their money's worth, you know? Yeah. So I, I think there's something to it. What that is, I don't know. I mean, obviously the gun camera footage is, I know it's a blob. Some people still are screaming at CGI. This is the, which, na this is the Navy footage that's been going yeah, around? Tic yeah, the Tic Tac video. 
Okay. Um, yeah, the the craft goes from thirty, or excuse me, eighty thousand feet to twenty thousand feet in one second. I mean, we don't. I don't know of any aircraft that can do that. So that's of huge importance. Uh, the Navy pilots who were piloting the F-18 Super Hornets were quoted as saying that they've never seen anything like this before, and they haven't seen anything since. And to be quite honest, uh, they're stunned that uh, not more was done with this until just now. So, yeah, this is big. Soraya, what do you think about all this? Because I purposely have not listened to what you recorded last <laughs> night. Tonight's the 18th, and you did something on the 17th, and made sure you got that out pretty quickly. Uh, I think well, were you were you with Greg and Joshua on that one? Yeah, separate separately. Okay. Um, so my my initial thing, like I, uh, Greg, not Greg, Mike Hughes had posted this to our yeah. Slack group right before I was leaving to do my radio show. And, you know, he was all excited, and I was like, oh, i got to read that, and I forgot all about it. And then I saw Lavinda post about it Sunday after I'd woken back up, and I was like, what? Disclosure? What What was that article? And I went and read <laughs> it, and I was completely nonplussed by it because, uh-huh. um, as I said on my show, for the five years that I've been doing Where Did the Road Go, I've been saying the government's researching UFOs. They're just not telling us, and yeah. they probably don't know much more than we do. And you read this article, and basically it's like, hey, the government's researching UFOs, and the last thing Harry Reid said is, we don't know what they are, and if anyone's telling you they know differently, they're fooling themselves. And it's like, so you don't know either. Isn't that kind of what I've been saying, you know, and what a lot of us have been saying? Um, or suspected, so yeah. It's, it's not, to me, it's not a revelation. Um, I'm not even that surprised, and I... I've noticed that a lot of media outlets, as you said, I haven't really been taking it too seriously. Uh, let's see, like the, the New York Post, or no, the Daily News, I'm sorry, has a picture of E.T. that just says, ouch, and it says, feds spend $22 million a year on Harry Reid's secret alien search. Um, so it's not like it really, and, and looking through the, the New York Times article, there was something like 1,500 comments, and scanning through the comments, most of the people were actually like, why the hell are they spending money on this? It wasn't, ooh, oh my God, UFOs are real. It's, you know, they're, they're just, they were more boggled by the whole thing. And, and that might be the media's fault to some degree because they've been trained to ridicule this stuff for so long. Sure. But really, they didn't tell us much of anything we didn't already know. Um, anyone researching this knows the, the government's involved in some way. I mean, they're not going to ignore this, they're not stupid. We know there's something going on, so confirming there's something going on doesn't mean much to a UFO researcher, really. Um, we know, now know the names of people involved, but we already knew Bigelow was doing this, and that's mm -hmm. really what it was. I mean, Bigelow came to these guys and asked them for money, and three senators gave them money. That's not like the whole government gave them money or made some unilateral decision in Congress. It's not like the White House press secretary came out and said UFOs are real Basically, this was put together from these three guys in Bigelow. And, you know, Bigelow's been talking about this for years. So yeah. to me, to me, it's not really disclosure at all. They didn't really disclose anything. Even the, the most interesting thing there where they said they're, they're, you know, researching the materials and artifacts that have been found. I forget the exact quote, but it doesn't, uh, it, <sighs> 
It's not like they said, we have a saucer or we have a craft. It's things that have been found associated with that. And physical traces are nothing new in UFO literature. I mean, from pancakes to slag uh, to, to implants, there's been plenty of physical evidence. So even that's not really a big reveal. Um, so to me, I feel like they gave us a lot of nothing, but they definitely fueled people who were looking for disclosure. A lot of people have written me saying that they think this is just the first step, and maybe it is. But I think this is probably going to be the only step, and I think this is just going to get washed under the rug. Chris, what do you think? <laughs> I couldn't disagree anymore. Um, I will say <laughs> I respect you, Sarai. I couldn't disagree with you more. That's fine. Uh, my family, the first thing out of my, the Christmas party on Sunday, on my uncle's mouth was, hey, Chris, did you see the news? What do you think? That's what matters. We, you and I, live in echo chamber. We hear this stuff all day long. We, that's what we deal with. We deal with the weird. Joe Q Public, this is a bombshell for them. Today, when I went to rehab for my surgery, that's what they were talking about. Okay, so... Really? For, yes. I'm telling you, this is huge. 35... What did I say? 35, I counted news, either articles or news magazines or television programs. 35. Let that sink into your head. 35 different programs are written in paper or online. This is unheard of. And yes, some of it, I will agree with you, it was slanderous at best. But a lot of it, I disagree. I think they treated it very well. I think there are some... Uh, people, television people that were kind of snarky, but there's onesie or twosies, and that's it. But this is huge. Uh, no, this is not disclosure. This is confirmation. Because, again, you're getting the government. And again, I should be careful here, because nobody in the government has actually said this. It's right. all, all been former government employees or people who worked for Tom DeLong now. But even so, they did work in those areas of interest and here's the thing all it takes is one of those reporters to go to that pentagon briefing and ask that question hey do you still have this program and i guarantee you the pentagon's going to be on their heels it just takes one reporter and guess what i know for a fact there will be a few reporters uh, that I've been, not so much I've been in contact with, but people that I'm associated with that are going to push forward. And this is the first step. I'm not going to, again, I disagree. This is not disclosure because that already happened in 52. Already, we already knew this phenomenon was real. This is confirmation for the Joe, the Q public on the street. For you and I, this is no big deal. That's why a lot of UFO researchers are acting very snarky and dismissive of this, I will say this, they will be left behind in the dust because they will be irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. When this tsunami gets going, and it already has, those people that have worked so hard, the Greg Bishops, I love Greg Bishop, and I love Joshua Cox, and actually I had a conversation with them this morning about this, they are going to become an afterthought. Because they will not be the people that the media go to goes to. They will go to the people that Tom DeLon and his people 
have decided that they should go to. And that's too bad, but too bad, too sad, because I have to say from the get-go, and I'm not a DeLon supporter, I'm a supporter of information getting out to the public. This needed to happen. And if it was taking DeLon's effort to do it, great. Too bad Ufology decided to write him off and say it's a money-making scheme. That's really too bad, but I know for a fact this is just the first step. Did he have anything to do with this? That was going to be my next question. Tom DeLon himself? Yeah, I mean, the whole no, To no, the Stars notice, Academy. Notice there was, no, there was only a brief mention in that New York Times article about Tom DeLon, and that was it. On all the TV stuff today... Actually, it didn't mention Tom DeLonge at all. It mentioned the two stars again. Well, okay, so, exactly. So, Tom DeLonge, it, it, look at the puppet masters and not the puppet. You know, like, as Grant Cameron would say, look at the puppet masters, don't look at the puppet. And you know who's going to look really bad really soon, and I'm going to laugh, is Joe Rogan, who just a couple of days ago was making fun of Tom DeLonge. He's going to look really stupid real quick, and I guarantee you he's going to have him on real quick again and say, oops, sorry, buddy, let's have you on again. Mark my words. So, um, Well, I, yeah, I this found is, it interesting that the New York Times article described this as the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Yep. And that's the almost the same terminology that DeLong used in the Joe Rogan episode that he did. What I will say is the people around Tom DeLong, the ones that I have kind of gotten close to, have told me he's no longer to talk about this topic in his words. <laughs> and more, I, I know you laugh, gotcha. but it's the truth. I mean, uh, he's no longer allowed to talk in his terms or his words and only using their phrases so that way like he doesn't look any more stupid because there's some stuff he said that is cringeworthy and notice how he doesn't talk about uh going out to the desert outside of area 51 and saying he did the c5 stuff that steven greer taught him he doesn't mention that at all anymore because he's not allowed to it's real simple He's got handlers now. He's got other people he's he's taking orders from. Yeah, yeah but, that's true. So you're right about that for sure. And and this is the other thing. These people are all military people, ex CIA and so on and so forth, which means the first thing is they're probably not telling you the full truth, no matter what they're telling you, because they always have uh, you know, another agenda behind what they're saying and what they're doing. For sure, I agree, but sometimes you have to play with the devil to get the good stuff. You know, to get the little breadcrumbs that fall from the tree. You just have to. I hate to say that, but it's the, it's the truth. I've gotten ridiculed like nobody's business saying I'm an apologist for Tom DeLon. I'm not. I just want information now. And if he's a conduit or his project succeeds, I'm all for it. You know, that's all I want. I don't give a f- crap who who ends up disclosing or gives confirmation. I just want the information out there. So, but what has this actually changed? It's gotten to the public 
the ridicule factor is gone now. The giggle. Yeah, I don't think it's gone. gone. I don't think it's gone. I disagree. I'm telling you all today. Everybody that it was any of my family or friends, all they could talk about is Chris. Did you hear about this? Can you? Did you see this? This is wild. Yeah. You were right. You were right. You're telling me about this guy, Robert Bigelow. Who the hell is he? I'm like, he's a guy to be aware of. I don't know if we can trust him. I pro- we probably can't, but no. I'm not a billionaire, so I can't really <laughs> throw my weight around. You know? but, but at the same time, these people know you're interested in this stuff. Like, I just looked on Facebook. It's not even in trending news anymore. Like, it barely broke into trending news on Facebook, and then it just disappeared. It, it was, I don't think, to the people who don't have any view of this, who don't know anyone involved in this, I think it was just a passing thing. I don't think it's going to stick. Uh, I disagree. I, I, in fact, I know there's more stuff coming. Uh, I will say there will be a media blitz come sometime in the f- first part of January. There will be book stuff coming out through 2018. And like I said to you both, and this is kind of very exclusive for uh, Concern Normal, um, there will be a scientific study, a white paper. This is not just in just a book form, but this will be also in a white paper that other scientists and other doctors can read. And I may get in trouble for this, but I don't really care. Um, Christopher Kit Green, who we all know uh, from UFO literature, and a name that not a lot of people know, a few people do, Gary Nolan, are working together on experiencers to look at their DNA to see if they, i.e., are they antennas and bring the phenomenon to them, like when they interact with the phenomenon, like does it attract them, or is it in their DNA that they can just see the phenomenon or have the uh, phenomenon manifest, or why are they so highly psychic? This will be released in 2018, and that's going to be huge. So do you think that being that it's December now, and -hmm. they're coming out with this right before Christmas, Mm -hmm. and and we've had all this announcement back in October with Tom DeLonge and to the stars. You think that this is all part, this is going to be a staged thing. In other words, to keep it, to keep it on people's minds, things are going to keep being put out in stages, different times. I know that to be fact. That is fact. I know the time, the basic timeline, not the long term timeline. I just know the next three months will be very fever pitch. So this could be some stained campaign to, Bring it will be a more, more and more forward. Uh, yes, and it won't be just gun camera footage that is like blurb that you can't tell what it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, the, the gun camera footage was interesting, but it's not—it's not anything we haven't seen before. Is the thing? Okay, Chris Rukowski. <laughs> um, no, no, I kid. But actually, it is and it isn't. Okay, it is something that we. The, the actual video we have never seen before. Oh, yes, Supposedly, yes, but I, I'm talking in general. Yeah, but we, now we get we get the pilots. We're going to get the pilots talking. That that documentary aspect is going to be coming coming out shortly. We're going to be hearing from those two pilots. 
we're going to be hearing more scientific stuff from the data from that telemetry of that encounter. I know that's coming out. Um, I'm trying to think what else what else I can and cannot talk about. See, this is like a slippery slope because, like I said, you know, you, you do a deal with the devil and sometimes you get burned. But um, I will just say that we will there will be a lot more coming out. And another person to look to, and I think he is a very good person to kind of gauge what's going to be happening, and he's been pretty good to me lately, is uh, John Burroughs, one of the experiencers of the Rendlesham Forest incident. He was tested by Christopher Kit Green. He was one of the experiencers to be tested for the study. Um, and... John Burroughs seems to think that there's going to be a lot more stuff put in the lap of, and I hate to go political here, but this is, and again, I kind of, this is my own analysis, put in the lap of Trump and let him handle this situation that's going to quickly spiral out of control. Because, like I said, the media is going to do their job finally and start asking hard questions, and the government's going to be caught flat-footed on this. I this, know that's this, inform I this information that you're getting now is this from people that are that are close to closer to this like are you just like communicating with them this is one step away from Tom DeLong I will say that okay if we are doing six degrees of Kevin Bacon <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha I gotcha well I'm kind of sitting here in between. I, I I don't really know what to think, honestly, about this about this whole thing. I mean, I, I think time will probably have to determine whether anything oh, else is going to happen about this. I mean, uh, I I still, uh, you know, I don't know. Hopefully, something will happen, and maybe we maybe we can find out. But I don't know if if we're going. If we're going to, I'm still really, really distrustful. Adam, let me ask you this. Have I been pretty spot on with the information I've given to you over the last couple of months? About yeah, this topic? yeah since this came out. Yeah. And about and about the Tom DeLonge stuff. Yeah. So right. I, I'm I, I'm hoping that uh, there is I, I, I just still wonder if there's an ulterior motive to for this for sure there coming out. Is. I, I, and again, I make no bones about it. There probably is. I'm not privy to that. And yeah. obviously they wouldn't tell me anyway. I haven't asked, but I mean, that's crossed my mind. But again, I don't know what, what ultimately, I mean, today one of the things that was promoted on Facebook is Stephen Greer is saying, this is just a cosmic false flag. You got to be aware of this. Dude, if it was a cosmic false flag, they'd be telling us, about the aliens on that thing that you, the last time was on your show, from that uh, space rock that came into our solar system, there's aliens on that, and they're going to eat our brains. You know, they <laughs> yeah, they're telling they, us they, something like that. The Umuamua. But they haven't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they haven't. So I just, that's Stephen Greer just crying that, again, he's trying to stay relevant. Right. The stories kind of move past them, you know. Right. 
Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. To- yeah, 100% agree about that. Uh, Tom DeLonge seems to have stolen his thunder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he really has. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting moving forward. Sarai, you got any, just... any thoughts? Uh, well, I'm 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 with you on that. Like, well, it's it's definitely a wait and see. It's just my gut instinct tells me that this is just another another thing that's going to fall flat. I mean, people get their hopes up for stuff like this, and then it never actually pans out to be anything. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't know. We will see. There was not, like I said, to me, reading that article was kind of like, okay, so. Three senators got talked into giving Bigelow money, and you know, I mean, it's not really confirmation from the top. Like, it's not you know the White House coming out and saying yes, there are UFOs, and we don't know what they are, or we do know what they are, or however you know they would put it. And I think that would get noticed. So maybe this is the first step, but I, I feel like it. It's not. It's almost like a fake step in a lot of ways. Scarily enough, though, the White House is probably less relevant than Robert Bigelow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, seriously. I found it interesting, too, that they talked about somewhere in here. I can't really find it, but um, they were talking about his Utah ranch. Where, um, and that's, Skinwalker, yeah, yeah. that's a yeah, direct reference to, to that. So I don't... Yeah, so that's been known about for a long time. And, you know, I find Bigelow interesting. I still can't get over the fact that maybe there's something to do, still had something to do with, with the weaponization of space on this. And I know that's that's kind of my kick. but Well, it, you know, the other thing I thought is that is this covering up some of the really high-tech stuff they have out there so that people will not think of it as, hey, this is our stuff. They'll think, oh, UFOs. Yeah, UFOs are real. You know, yeah. it's not the first time they've used UFOs to cover up, you know, craft that are ours. Yeah. And, you know, pilots and stuff, you know, military pilots are not going to know about that stuff. Yeah. The the need-to-know yeah. basis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You. I will just say... Uh, a filmmaker you're going to want to look to too is Jimmy Corbell. He has again the, the 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 I don't know if he's directly working for Tom DeLong. I've been, I've tried to pin him down on that a few times. He's not gotten back to me on that, but he is very cordial with me. I do know that there will be some documentaries coming out. One about Bob Lazar that he's doing that's coming on 2018 and that's going to be pretty big. Uh, that's another thing that's going to be rolling out here in 2018. Also the, the Tom DeLon is putting out the autobiography of Robert, uh, or not Robert, Bob Lazar too. So again, there's 2018 is going to be a year that you're going to look back and say, yep, Chris, you were right. Sorry, you were right. But why? <laughs> why 2018? Why now? What's again? Uh, it, to me, from what I've been told, and it's kind of like what Tom was kind of said in uh, interviews a couple years ago. Is the timing's just right now, and that's what was told to me. And I asked why, and they just basically said again, the timing's right, good now. 
So again, I I look at that and I see hmm. Trump's in office. He's a disaster. What better way to throw something into his lap? He'll have to handle it. He'll probably mishandle it, and then we're off to the races. You know. <laughs> I mean, seriously, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. I honestly, I honestly think that's what. But the goal here is I, I just had this vision of, of Trump, you know, saying something incredibly stupid to the aliens and getting us involved in intergalactic <laughs> war. But that was my uh, the vision in my head. Yeah. You know, there's also this article that got published back on December eleventh I came across. Um, MSU scholars find twenty one trillion in unauthorized government spending. Divest the Defense Department to conduct first ever audit. So I wonder if there's any connection between this, between this knowledge that there's all this black stuff going out there and and this to kind of sway away from that. Yeah, you know, listen, I know that there's been congressional oversight and kind of audits before the black budget, and they've gotten nowhere because they're so deep and so black that no congressperson or, or no senator sign off on it. It's just illegal money, okay? I'm, I'm just going to be frank with you. It's just illegal money. Where they get it from is drug trade. It's real simple. Mm-hmm. I know that's crazy to think, but that's the God-ass truth. <laughs> Not crazy to no. think. We know that our country's been involved in that stuff for quite yeah, a while. That's what makes the world go around, brother. I know, but... <laughs> I mean, that's like, I mean, it's kind of like a standing joke. Like if you have a a black program and you need money, go sell drugs. And then on top of that, for that black program, uh, and this has been told to me for every, I'll keep it simple, but for every black program, they spend $20 on the security and actually $1 on the actual program itself. Hmm. So that just shows you how much of a layer of an onion it is to try to even get to try to figure out what the hell we're dealing with because you know how many layers of an onion there are. So to try to, uh, maybe you get to the cyber aspect, but now you're, you're at the base. Well, now it's 40 miles away. You can't see anything. You need to telephone the length of you know, some super camera or, you know, or, God knows what, but my point is, is the black budget world, they know how to hide the money, and it's like whack-a-mole. You know, every year they, they say the same thing. We're going to audit you, and we're going to find this or find that, and they really don't find anything. <laughs> yeah, it's always kind of good luck with that. I mean, a good book for anybody to look into who is into UFOs, and it's kind of hard to get because it's not a new book. I own it. It's called Blank Check. And it has to deal with the black budget from 1987 when the uh, B-2 stealth bomber came online and how they they moved that money around where Congress didn't know whether they were coming or going. So that's, I mean, to me, the students could go look for the money. They're not going to find it. <laughs> so... I, I'm sorry to rain on your parade. So oh, no, bad, no, I'm just, it, like I said, yeah. this popped up right after this, this article had come out, and I wondered yeah. if there was a connection to kind of sway away some of that. Yeah, I mean, there's probably some smoke screen there a little bit. Reminds me of the, uh, reminds me of the $3 trillion that uh, Roosevelt said they lost the yeah, day before that. 9-11. 
Yeah. Uh, 21 trillion. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, if the public knew how much money has gone to the black world, we would be able to we'd be able to feed every person in the world. We'd be able to uh, house everybody in America. We'd be able to give free education. All this crap that we were dealing with now would just go away. But because we have spent gazillions upon gazillions on God knows what. And again, we only, we don't have a clue. You know, we really don't. We think we do, but we don't. Because what the scary part is, is we only see what's on the top layer of Area 51 S4, Dugway, Proving Ground. We only see what's on the top. We don't see what's underneath. We only see what they want us to see. True. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. All right, well, about finished with this segment, guys, but uh, what do you? Uh, let's get some final thoughts on this. We're, we're, we think this is going to move forward, or this is just going to drop like a brick? You want me to go first? Sure. Yeah, go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to continue on in 2018, like I said. Uh, full media blitz into January. It's not going to be the last you hear of programs like this. It's going to be in the mainstream media and just be on the lookout. So, um, I would say that's probably true that it will, that there will be more stuff out there, but I don't know that it's going to be anything actually significant. Uh, and if it does seem significant, I'd be very suspicious of it because these people don't just give this stuff away. Um, you know, we're, we're dealing with, with government spooks. They're not in the business of being honest and straightforward about anything. There's always an agenda. There's always a twist. As I said, the, the government always lies. It, even if it does no reason to lie, even if the truth is perfectly fine, they will lie to spin it to their advantage. And these people have had a, a whole career of that. So I don't think we're going to see anything different here. Um, in the end, I think it's going to be a distraction away from whatever's really going on. And uh, maybe that's the whole point. I don't know. But time will tell. We will see as 2018 progresses what happens and what the public response is. Because I think the public response has been pretty quiet for the most part. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be in my 2018 might end up being an interesting year. Might be an interesting year anyway, but uh, I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for doing this. Um, Absolutely. Kind of on yeah, last no minute today as well. So uh, I'm going to close out this section, and guys, why we'll be back in Studio A with Dr. Future on Conspiracy Normal. <laughs> Hello, Rob. Well, hello, sir. You weren't here for the first segment. That's true. That was that was rather odd. I felt I felt naked without you. Or the second segment of the last show. I know. It's like missing a whole show in reverse order. Yeah, it kind of is. I, I just I, I didn't know what to do. It just <laughs> it felt really strange.
Were you but like it felt like those times back in like the episode like thirty through forty where I did the show pretty much by myself because <laughs> you know Luke was doing God knows what <laughs> and living in a cave and skateboarding. living in a cave <laughs> and skateboarding yeah so uh, the intro that we did was with Soraya and with Chris Wolford which uh, got a little heated. Um, you'll you'll hear it whenever you actually post it, but uh, Chris is just going to tell you he's super excited about the UFO revelations that have that have come out with the Pentagon. Uh. And actually, um, we continued. What you're going to hear is about 30 minutes. We stayed on for like an I think almost an hour or like an hour and 10 minutes, and we ended up doing pretty much like an entire show without for that I'm going to put up for Patreon. Ah. So you guys are going to hear when I stopped the show, when I stopped the segment, like I said, it continued on for another 20 to 30 minutes. So I'm going to put that whole thing up for Patreon and Patreon only. And you guys can hear, cause there, there was some like, you know, there was a little objectionable language. Nobody got heated or anything, but it was, you know, it, it just got tense. A little, little f words thrown about, just more like you know, some fr- some frustration. So it was a good, it was a good, uh, it was a good time though. So I'll have that up. I'm probably gonna by the time this posts, I'll have that up already. So we have a guest in the studio. Yeah, we do. This is a a privilege because this is the last guest of this year. And I, I intend to have this person here with us every year to be the last guest, whether online or in the studio. And that's the great Dr. Future. Thank you so much for having me. And say hey to all the people out there. And proof I'm still alive. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's still alive, everybody. Mm-hmm. All right. he's, 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 he's lost about half of himself. Right. But, actually, uh, <laughs> actually, the end of last July, I weighed fifty six percent more than I weigh right now. You've actually done a percentile yeah, on this, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I recalibrated every day. So it's many the, decimal points. <laughs> it's that engineering training, uh-huh. I suppose. You got it. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're here, thank Doctor you. Future. Thank it's, you. Well, thanks it, for having me. Not many people will have me. Yeah. And once my books come out, less people will have me. So. Yeah. Well, we're still going to have you. Yeah, I feel like I'm sort of like the apocalyptic guest. It's like, this is the end. My beautiful friends, the end. (laughs) 2017. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the world didn't end last year when you were here. I know a lot of your listeners are going to say, after that another minute interview, I'm not listening to to Conspiracy Normal for the rest of the year. Oh, you're one of my most requested guests. Really? Yeah. Like, uh, was it, why uh, don't you dispute Dr. Future? Have him back on <laughs> show what a fraud he is. Was it Jason, Justin, Jason Fabok said that to me that the, on the show with us, he said, he said, I'd love to hear Dr. Future again. And, uh, really? uh, I think, um, Grimstake said the same thing, said he'd love to hear Dr. Future. Wow. So, they you just, know, they like the train wreck. Well, you know, the thing is, you know, you're still working on these books. Yeah. You're now, right. I think, on the last volume. Uh, well, actually, it's the last full volume to write. I'm right in the middle of volume eight. I'm on about page 365, so I'm going to try to keep it under 800 on that one. And then 
I got a little bit to add to volume nine and a little bit of cleanup here and there. So, yeah. So how much longer is this than war, than war and peace? Well, right now I think I've gotten over 4,500 pages, so I don't know how big war and peace is, but this is a lot more significant. I expect it to be much more of an impact on the world than war and peace. So do you need to just have a volume that, that like, you know, compiles all of them. So you just let this have this huge book. Yeah. That you can yeah. just like throw at people with yeah with big thick binding, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you can get yeah. Heather to do that. She's she's a book binder. Okay, yeah. She could she she could only if it's bound out of human skin. Yeah, there you go, like yeah. the Necronomicon, right? With that big <laughs> big face on it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you've been working on this pretty much since we started this show. Yeah. Uh, we started in twenty uh, in twenty twelve, and I think I started in August two thousand eleven. Okay, so yeah, it's been a little yeah, bit a little longer I than that. Wrapped up Future Quake in February two thousand twelve. Yeah, you you wrapped up Future Quake pretty much to just focus solely on doing these books. Right. That's right. And. People have heard some of the things that you've talked about. I mean, you've dropped hints here and there. Uh, we've talked about some of the material because there is a ton of material mm-hmm. that is in these books. We talked about uh, some of the Jewish magic stuff back mm-hmm. uh, that was like right. three years ago or something. Yeah, and we kind of had that detour with the Georgia Guidestones. Is right. that going to be in any of the books? Are you going to throw what, that the in the, any it, of that material? I, it's briefly mentioned in. Uh, the spinoff book, you know, this is a nine volume series. And then there's uh, a spinoff book that I, it was the second one I wrote. It was called a Hi- the hidden hand against the God fears. And the reason why it was written was in volume nine, I show overwhelming evidence, statistical and otherwise, how ridiculous and absurd it is to think that Sharia law is going to take over America. Uh, I show that basically at the current advanced aggressive rate of, of, um, immigration of Muslim people, that we need to fear that they can actually take over in in not much more than a thousand years that they could take over. So uh, as I show some of this kind of stuff... Well, they're very patient. Right, right, right. So, uh, you know, it needs to be job one. So anyway, <laughs> as I show all this data to show, you know, how ridiculous it is that we'll all succumb to Sharia law, even though that's such a popular thing for fundraising letters for people... Um, I asked the question, if this is not, the, these guys who wear turbans and caves are not the big threat to our daily way of life, then who is the real threat? And what I found is the people who are the real threat to our values when we live are not people who wear turbans and caves, but they're people who wear suits and ties and sometimes even sit in our churches. They're the people who control the things that really do control our daily life, and that's what the hidden hand against the God fear is about. And it gets into some great weird stuff. I, I talk about um, some of our most favorite institutions like the military and things like George Patton. I go through his his uh, journals and writings for the Army War College about how to subjugate the American public and how, how to kill members of the press to get the American public subjugated. I talk about the war between um, the, the guys who worked for... Um, 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 Darwin, uh, like Thomas Huxley, who who did his stuff, and how he got Aldous Huxley and Julian Huxley, who was head of UNESCO. These guys formed the Fabian Socialist, and how they had their own view about wiping out. And and part of it is that you know we're, there, there's this 
movement to try to create these holy wars between the, the biggest monotheistic religions. And what I can show is, is there's a separate movement to wipe out all of them. And when they give such bad behavior, and I'll speak from a Christian background, from the Christians too, it gives ammunition to these people to want to do things like that to wipe them out. Because of all the wars and things that have been started in the name of religion and God, it 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 helps these people's argument to show these mm-hmm. final solutions. But H.G. Wells wrote about it prolifically. Um, George Bernard Shaw, the playwright, the number one playwright after Shakespeare. And really during the 20th century, they faced off against um, um, C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton, and they had a true intellectual battle over the soul and mind of the Western world. And so I get in a lot of that. Some of the books that people don't understand, like that hideous strength, I finally figured out what he was getting at, what that book was, because that's a weird science fiction-y book. It's it's very Lovecraftian in a way. And uh, so anyway, I, I get into that, and the Georgia Gatsons come up, because I even get into foundations, uh, what they said their original purpose when a lot of the, the Ford Foundations and Rockefeller and others what they want to do to the public, how they want to do things. And all this stuff happens under our nose and how we worry about our government doing stuff or other groups. And you've got these groups that dwarf our government in terms of the impact they have on education, on who gets fed, who doesn't get fed in the world and, and things like that. So, yeah, long answer to yes, the Georgia Guidestones do come up a little bit in that. In Bohemian Grove, I found a whole lot more information that I've seen compiled anywhere and in fact, I, I sort of recite some of the the, uh, the actual liturgy they do at Bohemian Grove that was uncovered, and I found some places where it came from, and all this stuff sort of ties together. It all has a, a common theme. So, yeah, it's the, the people who want the religions to fight against each other. First of all, they don't need any help. You, you've got zealots on all sides that right. are the danger to all the rest of us, whether you're God believing or not. But there are certain people that have a vested interest in stoking it up. And so I expose that in the hidden hand against the God fears. Kind of like holding a flame by a barrel of gasoline. Yeah, yeah. You know, just, just, just to get it started. Right, right. And they, they <laughs> help foster the self-destruction of the people who stand in their way. Well, this latest volume that you've been working on for the last year mm-hmm. has been about Russia. It was totally unplanned. It had no, absolutely no plan at all. To, to cover this topic, it was not... Of course, you know, this was originally supposed to be a single book. And I held out for a long time the whole series until I finally grudgingly admitted to three, and now it's looking to be nine. Um, so, but this one was not... And what happened was I was finishing what now is volume eight, and as I was going through it, it, it never fails. This is what happened to The Hidden Hand Against the Godfears. What was supposed to be a little, small little part of a chapter grew into a book. Yeah, and it grew into an almost 800-page book yeah. on, on Russia because I, I found some mysterious Russian oligarchs were suddenly investing in some religious right people. And what they were doing in one hand was differing from what they were doing in their other. And there was, there was some hidden stuff going on. And then that led me to try to research about these oligarchs and who they were connected to. And as I was doing it, all these names came up. And then all of a sudden, the news this year the people that I would just start writing about would suddenly be household names the next week. And so I'd have mm-hmm. all this new information to dovetail in, and that's why I thought, will I ever even get like a 400-page book out of this topic? And then I had to truncate it at just under 800 uh, because of there's so much stuff that at least I thought was relevant. They're fighting their own holy war. 
And we we think also about the Christian holy war with Islam. You've got the Zionists are also playing it for their strategy. And this is just like the original crusades. You know, there was a whole bunch of different agendas going on. And most of the time you've got, even on the Christian side, you got them fighting each other more. The, the, the Muslims become a boogeyman to justify the ambitions of the individual players. And, and the same thing's true today. And in the, in the Eastern world, the Russian Orthodox Church has their own plans, and it does not serve the interest of anybody here in the, in the West. And I say this as a person myself who have, I've done work in Russia, a, a official for the U.S. government. I wasn't rogue. I yeah, you've got one of those furry hats. I've got one of the furry house. hats, which I made the mistake of it's wearing. It's right it was, next to the Devo Energy, do- right, Energy Dome. That's right. That's right. <laughs> now I'm wearing my uh, Dr. Steve Brule Check It Out shirt here to the interview. <laughs> um, you dingus. Yeah. Thanks. You got any butterscotch on you? Uh, anyway, uh, the, the Russian people are a fascinating people. And in general, I really, really like them. They're very intelligent. I have a lot to contribute. Um, the first time I went over, there was a young person. I was doing work for the Air Force, and the wall had just come down. And some some Russian officials saw my work at a conference I was presenting, and they offered to take me to a secret city that they had. Uh, they had a lot of them over there to do their defense work, you know, during the Soviet time. And they were really hard up for money. And so they were opening up stuff they'd never open up because they needed the cash. And so they wanted to take me there, and they wanted me to get the transportation. Well, I was really sort of there by myself, and so I couldn't do it. And so they finally, I said, "If you, you're going to have to bring something if, if you want me to go there. Well, they brought this old army, Soviet army truck with big canvas back on it, and they had some student who spoke a little English, and they threw him back there. With, but they had to blindfold me and put something over my head because I couldn't see where we were going. And on the way there, riding there, I'm thinking, you know, I should have told somebody where I was going. That would have been a good idea, you know, some American or something. And the truck broke down, took forever to get there. But finally, I got out to this place, met a scientist there who was sort of like the Mike Bennett equivalent, although he was probably a lot smarter and a lot more experienced, and got to know him and then went back. He let me take photos while I was there, which was like a first there, what they were oh, really? shooting up, shooting up airplanes, shooting up airplanes with artillery and stuff, doing the, what I did. So the secret city was not so secret by then. Well, I mean, I didn't know where it was. They had to put the blanket oh, back over you. my head yeah. to get me out. But anyway, um, brought him over. He did some research with us, and I, you know, he called their government the gangster government, and uh, he had shown me. When we, was this? Like this was ninety two. So right like after that, the yeah. Soviet Union fell, right, and. Uh, it was weird. I took him to a barbecue joint, and they had a lot of the African-American jazz artists, you know, from blues from back in the early part of the 20th century. He knew all of them. He, didn't, he couldn't speak English. He had to speak to an interpreter, but he knew all the names. And it turned out that he and his buddies would exchange American blues albums, and it was in penalty of imprisonment if you were caught with them. Yeah. But um, so long story short is I met a lot of people over there that I really liked. I like the, their perseverance under extreme duress. But having said that, they have an authoritarian streak. They seem to be in their comfort zone. At least, I'll say it this way, there's some kind of governing majority that feels that way. There is a strong minority that do not, that are in the 21st century, or at least 20th century. But they have that kind of streak, and the institutions over there are more than willing to, to apply it to them. And... Um, as much as I like them, their overall institutions do not have our interest at heart. 
And it's difficult for me to say that because having gone through the last few years of all this anti-New World Order stuff and knowing about all the sins of our own country, about the CIA and FBI, which are still valid, still true, sure, all this kind of stuff, I have seen some other figures in the patriot community basically throw themselves under the arms of a new lover in Vladimir Putin and Russia as a way to stick it to America. And I understand their frustration with America and its imperialism and stuff. And you want to have something you can believe in and some institution to believe in, but I'm afraid they've gone out of the frying pan into the fire from what I've, what I've discovered. I, I wish it were that easy that we could look to the East for someone inspiring to us, but you've just got a competitor group that has similar evils, and even their religious group are some of the most uh, darkest people I've ever seen over there. Who are the oligarchs that you that you mentioned? Well, the uh, guy who comes earlier. up, uh, the main one that comes up, is a fellow by the name of Vladimir Yakunin. He was Putin's right hand men. Uh, one of the ways they got famous was Putin moved to this little Dhaka community on a lake, and Yakunin was there and a few others. And they started pushing out the common people who had communities there. And they found all sorts of clever ways because they had money. And and they formed almost like what would you be, sort of like a bohemian grove without the rituals, but this clique of the top oligarchs in Russia. And they began pushing out everybody. And then it's become like a rat pack since then where in administering the nation, they all stick together. And so what he made Yakunin, Yakunin was their, their rep even in the Soviet Union days. He was sort of a spy rep for them. And then uh, he became the head of the railroads, which is like the biggest job in Russia. It's by far the biggest transportation institution in the world is the Soviet railroad empire. And he got ridiculously wealthy like the rest of them. And he has been almost like a herald for Putin, but particularly for the Russian Orthodox Church. Because this guy, even though they talk about the decadent luxury lifestyle he has, where he has like a mansion with all his wife's furs and climate-controlled conditions and all this other stuff, he is a real uh, zealot for the Russian Orthodox worldview and in the mysticism. And he does a lot of weird religious mystical things that he bankrolls on behalf of the, the country and the government. And he is a primary interface with America's religious right. And uh, they do things hand in glove with him. So um, there's more than J- P- Putin is the figurehead. He is like the rider on the white horse. They, you could call him the Vladimir, you know, Prince Val- Vladimir or St. Basil or any of these guys. But there's a whole lot of other henchmen that are very, very significant that have more of a hands-on direct interaction with particularly our religious figures here. What is the fascination of our evangelical right leaders, religious leaders, with Vladimir Putin? Why do they why do they love him so much? Well, they like strong men, autocrats. And you know, of course, you see a similar thing in how they they go for Trump, but you know, I think even they are pressed, they have to admit Trump's sort of a buffoon. I mean, you know, He's made a lot of money, but, you know, poor Trump, he had to start from nothing. I mean, all he had to start out, Donald Trump, was a million dollars and his dad's <laughs> Rolodex of insider real estate contacts and the shirt on his back. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, that's yeah. the only way uh, he, he. That had was to a get rough started. start. Right. I don't know how he did it. Right, he had just as rough time as his sons do. Yeah. you know that. And those those small those hands those, those small, small hands small had hands. you know yeah. was a real handicap too. Right, right. which but, by the way they opened the uh, Trump's uh, animatronic on the uh, yeah the Hall of Presidents at Disney World. Need to see the pictures, but anyway, sorry. Does he does he fondle any of the women animatronics? Is that part of the you know for the realism that they go for? You know, yeah. I don't know. Uh, does, does it show him on the toilet at three a.m. texting or, or twittering? Or, no, but it's pretty bad. Realistic. Okay, uh, but uh, it's pretty anyway, nightmarish, actually. It, it it and and it's even worse over in Russia because. While there is an active minority trying to fight for for real rights for people, minorities and rights, the overwhelming number of Russians support Putin because he feels like they they made Russia legit and respectable again and things like that. And they like the fact that he didn't wear a shirt and that he, you know, you know, he shot a bear, even though it was a bear that they chained to the ground where it couldn't get away and shot it, but he could stand next to it. So they like that kind of stuff that he does, you know. But um, riding a horse without a shirt. There's even a religious cult in Russia that worships him, and they they worship him as a, a reincarnation of like John the Baptist or something. Um, they have made statues of him, like as a Roman senator, where he looks just like a Roman statue. Really, to show how they brought you know the the new stature to it, but. He doesn't have the well. He's not perceived as having the idiot baggage that Trump does, um, and so they see him as just such an incredible role model. But also because he shows up conspicuously at Russian religious events, because if we think we have a civil religion in America, you ought to see it in Russia. The Russian Orthodox Church is the definition of being Russian, and. I think something like 80-something percent of Russians declare themselves being Russian Orthodox, even though only 2% of the public ever go to church once a year. Hmm. So it's really a definition of what our identity is so we can rise up above everybody else, something distinctive about us. If you asked them about Russian Orthodox theology, they wouldn't have a clue, but you know that's that's what they are. And so they're always really looking for respect in the world and they want to be treated. And, and really it's, they're working so hard. That's the problem. I mean, there's a lot of brilliant people in Russia, a lot of brilliant, uh, talented, uh, artists, writers, um, scientists, obviously, but they want to be, they, they have an inferiority complex and they think Putin is a way that it gets addressed. And he's a very eloquent guy. He's, he's savvy. He's a savvy kind of guy. He has his own insecurities, uh, but he's sort of like another guy we know. He made the trains run on time in, in Russia. Gotcha. And we have another place who who now they're developing a very close affinity to Germany now, believe it or not. Uh, in fact, there's even talk now of their top figures about redoing a Ribbentrop pact mm-hmm. to basically carve up Poland and other stuff. That's seriously being talked about right now. And they've got some of the far-right parties in Russia, which now are ri- are rising up. In fact, they just won in neighboring Austria. They just won the government in Austria, the far-right. Uh, and they're actually talking about carving up this area into a, a Slav area and others. You know, before they were bitter, bitter enemies. Well, now their enemy are the Americans and the British, the Oceanic people. 
And so they're talking about letting Germany basically run Western Europe and dividing a line across Eastern Europe that would be the Russian sphere right now. So That was something that... I know I'm hitting scattershot. It's all documented very, very carefully in the book. about That was something that was in, that was talked about in... Um, in the 30s or the 20s and the 30s, there was this uh, doctor. His name was Haushofer. Mm-hmm. Right. He was a he was a big influencer on both Hitler, but also Rudolf Hess. And the whole idea was is that they wanted to divide Eurasia, right, as they call it. But I guess they and described themselves as Eurasianists. Mm-hmm. But they wanted to divide. The world between Germany and between Russia, or at that time, the Soviet Union. Right. And that was part of the reason why Hess made that flight out to Britain, was because they didn't agree with Hitler's invasion of the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. They felt that it should be this kind of bipolar world is is divided between Germany and Soviet Union. And it it Mm -hmm. almost worked. Well, Hess will have the last laugh. Yeah. And it's sort of funny because this is just a weird connection back to my writing. The guy who watched over him in the prison, was it Spandau or one of the prisons? Yeah, Spandau where they prison in Berlin. Yep. Was a guy that connects to some U.S. televangelists here that have formed a chivalrous group to fight the Muslim menace together. And the really? guy who was won over by Hess is a guy. And, and also, uh, supposedly, these televangelists won over um, Kurt Waldheim. You know, who when he, when he the U.S. or U.N. Secretary General, yep, who they yep. later found out was a Nazi. Right, right. Yeah. Well, oh, that, by the way, I'm a Nazi. Yeah, but he's a he's a buddy of theirs too. <laughs> but the Eurasianism really becomes a foundational philosophy, uh, and this goes beyond the area where you've been able to read in the book so far. Uh, in Putin's philosophy, there's a gentleman that is known as Putin's brain. That's how he's commonly known in the press. And he is the main influence on the ideology for Putin. His name's Alexander Dugan. Mm-hmm. And Alexander Dugan, he reminds me a lot of a Rasputin kind of character. He's pretty crazy, pretty wild, um, looks sort of wild a lot of times. Um, but he's a big fan of Aleister Crowley. He's a big fan of occultism. Uh, a lot of this German, uh, you know, Black Sun kind of stuff he's big into. And, of course, another big fan of, of uh, Alexander Dugan is Alex Jones. Alex Jones has him on regularly. Really? On I didn't show. know this. Yeah, yeah. Alexander Dugan, he's a big hero for Alex Jones. And um, But Dugan has really crystallized the Eurasianism. Uh, and he, he cites the gentleman you mentioned and others. Yep. Julius Evola, who's a big fascist. These are all the groups that are really, really big in the white supremacist movement in the U.S. and in Western Europe. And Dugan is sort of their hero. Uh, Wasn't Steve Bannon like a book by Evola? Doesn't he right, influence right. by Right, And he yeah. also, Steve Bannon, yeah, they all tie into this. And this, this is another centerpiece chapter of this book. It's, you know, some of these chapters are like almost 100 pages long. Yeah. And in the white supremacist movement, the Russians have made a major, major investment. And in fact, I learned about all of the guys who later, like weeks later, were the ones that did the Charlottesville rallies, like Richard Spencer, some of these other guys. These guys have all been underwritten and supported by the Russians. And the Russians have specifically started this and other uh, separatist movements, like uh, like uh, the um, 
League of the South and some of these other groups like that, they host conferences in Russia where they bring these guys over, secessionists, and they're trying to foster a breakup of the United States and the different segments. And this is part of their whole philosophy part of it. But Alexander Dugan teaches in Eurasianism that their destiny is to control the entire Eurasian continent from Vladivostok to, I guess, the Rock of Gibraltar, I guess. And the enemy, and this he takes it back through history. The history uh, enemy, in fact, they, they compare themselves to Rome. They feel like they they have the legacy of Rome, which mm-hmm. was a land-based empire in his view. Their battle is against Carthage, and they see Carthage as the sea-based people who had values that valued individualism and valued individual rights, what they see as a mortal threat. And so they they see the British and the Americans as typifying individualism, democracy, and other hated terms. And so they have a long-term plan to battle the British and the Americans. And, you know, you've read my stuff. I have a lot of beefs with both the British and the Americans. I have not given them any kind of pass. But in this case, the Russians have shown that they can outdo uh, some of the deeds of the British and the Americans, and they, they're playing to win. And what they're doing is they're bankrolling. Like, for example, uh, Marine Le Pen, uh, who was in the runoff uh, for the French presidency recently. Who I thought no, was going to win. Known as an extremely hard right, very, very fascist. Her, yeah. her dad, particularly, uh, uh, Marine Le Pen, was, was that way. Um, hers was financed by Russian banks. The Russians financed her whole party, political party. Uh, you see that in other countries. Uh, uh, Europe, they've made major crossroads. In Poland, it's gone extremely hard right, where now they've just passed a law saying that the, uh, the legislature, if they get a simple majority, which they now have, they can dismiss the entire, all the judges in the country. They can completely control the judicial, in other words, so they can change any kind of civil rights for minorities. Because ultimately, if you're honest about it, the courts are the only place where minorities have protections. Because the majorities are the ones who elect the legislature and the presidents, the executive branch. So the the courts, which are supposed to be hands-off to protect them, well, that's gone in Poland now. In Hungary, you've got an extremely hard right guy who now is he is the darling of the religious right here. And if you read the, the religious right press here, um, Victor Orban, who's the president over there, uh, he is the guy who's the big hero. And the guy, one of his main assistants who helped Victor Orban, uh, very strongly anti-immigrant, uh, saving. It's always this thing of saving tradition, saving Christian Europe, saving Christendom. That's always their theme, whether it's in Russia or these other Eastern European countries. One of his main lieutenants was Sebastian Gorka. And Sebastian Gorka, who you know now came to be in the Trump administration, he's usually one of the most worst flamethrowers, makes a lot of crazy claims without verification or justification. But he's got a goatee and sounds uh, impressive, so people believe him. And uh, he recently <laughs> was pushed out of there. But, you know, one of the things he wore at, at, at Trump's inauguration was this pin showing his, his belonging to some chivalrous group in Hungary. Both he and his dad were members of it. And it was the group that the Nazi-affiliated group in Hungary did when they gathered up all the Jews and sent them to the uh, concentration camps. That was the group that he was proudly displaying at the inauguration. Wow. 
And, uh, I mean, he clearly had it. There was no dispute that he tried to say, oh, well, I just wore this for my dad. But he wore it at the inauguration, this special chivalrous group that's uh, hardcore anti-Semitic. Was that like the Iron Cross or something like that? I, I I, it's in my book. I have to look it up. But it's yeah. a uh, um, it, it's a group, and Sebastian Gorka was clearly affiliated uh, with it at this time. But over I and over and over I for my dad, and my dad was a fascist. And yeah. I'm proud right. of it. Right. Well, <laughs> if you look far enough, all of these guys they have on Paul Manafort, um, I was just glancing here at the book again. He said, oh, I have no context- connections with getting money from Russia. Paul Manafort was arranged to get something like $10 million to promote Putin sort of secretly within the legislatures of the U.S. And all of his cohorts all have a similar pedigree. I mean, it, it is, it's not a one or two person that just happened to worm their way in. They've all got this pedigree. And then some of them have their own weirdness, like uh, Jared Kushner, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is a little off the Russian topic, but he, you know, his big thing is he's a Philly with Kabad and Kabad. We may have talked about this a little bit, but they basically teach very strongly. They're the largest organized Jewish group in the world. And they believe that Jews are the only people that really count since creation. That and they're Gentiles very ultra Orthodox. Right. Yeah. And they were meant to, the Gentiles were all meant to serve the Jew and that they'll be getting these courts set up they write about these uh uh noah had lost courts where if you say for example jesus is lord you're guilty of idolatry and the 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 death penalty is beheading which is a very very uh sort of prophetic kind of thing but he's a jared kushner is a big follower of kabod and in fact the they're they're a real sort of messianic figure who died rabbi schneerson i think he died in 94 they they thought he was going to rise from the dead right then. All the followers there in in I guess Brooklyn all thought he was going to rise up from the dead, and they still think they think he is he's hidden or occulted, just like the 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 imam. You know, was it the twelfth yeah, imam? The, the Mahdi, which everybody makes yeah. fun of that. You know, like what what a nutty belief. Well, that's what the largest Jewish organization believes is that he is occulted or hidden, and he will reappear. Well, Kushner took his wife Ivanka to Schneerson's. Um, grave that he would perform a miracle on the night of the election for Donald Trump that he would pull a miracle and get the election so this is some of the gang so you know it's not all Russian influence there's there's some other and of course the guy he picked for the uh, um, ambassador to Israel is extremely hardcore pro settlement they 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 you know to try to drive the Palestinians out of the the uh, their territories and stuff like that. So, well, since we're on this topic, what do you think about this? Um, I haven't I really asked you very much about this, but them changing the the, the declaring the capital of Jerusalem, uh, putting our embassy in Jerusalem. Yeah. Well, um, how, how has that furthered the aim to bring peace in the world? How is that really? Con- they they said on TV. I mean. If people have gotten so used to lying and just looking right in the camera and lying and knowing that you know they know what they're saying is total whatever. Uh, and when they said, oh, we think this will further peace by doing this. You know, just like taking a an Uzi and shooting it over the walls of the temple into crowds, I'm sure that'll further peace too. It's That would be less dangerous than, than what they've done with this. Um but that that is consistent with the uh, ambassador Friedman that they placed in position, 
and Jared Kushner's work to be even-handed brokers of peace. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, like one of the main contributors, like uh, um, uh, the casino, Max Sheldon Adelson here, who's the biggest pro-Zionist guy here, I'm sure a lot of that's sort of his influence, too, to sort of appease him because of the money he's given, you know, to get the guys elected here and things like that. But, uh, you know, if, if it's people who are without a voice, if they don't have powerful interests looking out for them, then they're just getting to be more and more screwed every day. If it's people on the outside, you know, we got people in, our, in the U.S. now who are barely clinging and some of them are still supporting a tax plan now that just was approved that will eviscerate them and eviscerate their children more when the when the bills come due for all the all the increase in the national debt that's going to accrue but the windfall that comes now to big business right now is going to uh it's going to be paid by them but they still support it and so sometimes it's a it's a willing kind of thing because of their ignorance or they you know they've not had the education or background to know what's going or they're just desperate they're desperate for something, and somebody says they'll help them, even if all the facts show that they won't. So, yeah. But but the, to to understand the Russian involvement, you really have to understand the Russian Orthodox Church, which I didn't. Um, I've been immersed in so many things that were anti-Catholic that you would tend to want to have some empathy for the Russian Orthodox Church because they stood up to them. But it's the same thing as saying you empathize with the Russians because they stand up to the Americans. Just because somebody is imposed to an evil man doesn't mean that they're not an evil man themselves. Right, yeah. And it's always... I typify it as one group of thugs against another group of thugs. Yeah, it's always disheartening because you'd like to think at least there's one powerful sect that's really, really good. And, And at least in earthly governments, it's really, really hard to find that. And the Russian Orthodox Church has been compromised almost since their finding, but particularly in the 20th century. And uh, that, to me, is the most disturbing development in in the book that I had, was that you've got a purported Christian group that is probably responsible for most of the evil doing in helping making that happen in their society. How so? Well, the, the you know, I mentioned the, the Russians have this long affinity for authoritarianism, it somehow makes them feel more secure that they'll be respected if they have a strong man that can show force. That's why they like Peter the Great or Ivan the Terrible or any of these people. I mean, they now even look forward to the czars, even though they knew that, that the czars were totally heartless. It was like before the French Revolution, you know, in the way they treated the serfs. Well, now they, they there's a big movement back to bring back and actually make Putin a czar. There's a movement yeah. in Russia to do that. Um, but... Uh, it started with Vladimir, and you have to understand how their Christian faith got started. I think it was in 988 A.D. Prince Vladimir right. in Kiev actually forcibly made everybody in the empire become a Christian. So there was none of this, uh, let's preach the gospel and see if we move men's hearts and women's hearts, and let's see if they are are stirred by the, this truth, you know, or the good news. No, it was a dictate from the top down. And that has set the principle from the rest of the history. They declared themselves an Orthodox Christian, not just Christian, but Orthodox Christian, uh, and particularly Russian Orthodox Christian uh, society, and they have not vacillated from that. Under communism, communism tried to dilute some of it, 
but they found even that was overwhelming. And and while there was a crackdown on the on the Russian Orthodox during uh, after the Russian Revolution, when Germany invaded and things looked perilous, uh, they they made a Faustian bargain with Stalin. Stalin needed the spiritual message that the Russian Orthodox Church could use to inspire people to go out and be willing to throw away their lives to protect Russia, just like. You know, the the Muslims did when they attacked Constantinople or somewhere. And, you know, you got those guys throwing themselves on the wall as cannon fodder. And so they needed religious fervor to do that. And so what they did was they made a deal where they would basically restore the Russian Orthodox Church back to their position of prominence, which enriches the personal coffers of the leaders of the Russian Orthodox Church that they would strengthen them, reopen churches, do all this. If they would start preaching in their churches, that Stalin was appointed by God after they had just said all along that, you know, the Soviet atheist empire was of the devil and we have to persevere under persecution and hang in there. They suddenly did an uh, about face when they were offered the keys to the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so they made this bargain. Of course, that would reinforce Stalin's uh, cynicism toward religion. It reinforces the whole thing that Marx and others would say about, well, these guys are just going to be bought, and they're, they're just another power center, you know, that you got to deal with. And so uh, there was a group of old believers that wouldn't do that, and they end up basically getting persecuted by the Russian Orthodox Church because they didn't want to sell out. And so once that happened, there was a tolerance of it. There was a little bit of a backlash later, maybe like during Andropov for some of these other guys, but um, the Russian Orthodox Church was what in some ways kept people in line in the Soviet times uh, behind it because there was an allowance made for the Russian Orthodox Church. And um, But w- one of the more interesting things that I found in my research was that in this little glimpse of time before you had the autocracy of the, of the Soviets to the autocracy of, of Putin, there was this time under Yeltsin. And Yeltsin tried to allow people to know what was going on, even though, you know, he had alcohol problems, he had other strength problems. I'll always appreciate Yeltsin for standing on those tanks and risking his neck to stop yeah. the military takeover. Yeah, I remember that really you know, well. If he hadn't been there, where would we be today? But anyway, uh, because of his limitations, the oligarchs filled in a vacuum. You just think about 70 years of a whole system of running your economy and everything has gone overnight. Um Anything could have happened. Civil war could have happened, revol- rev- other revolutions, anything. And so the oligarchs filled the vacuum, and a lot of bad stuff happened because they took over a lot of the, the main institutions of the, the, the state. But they, they were able to unlock the archives, and he directed the Duma during the brief time Yeltsin was in power, uh, which is their parliament, to do a study out of the KGB files of what was really going on. And one of the guys on the Duma committee was a guy who was also a Russian Orthodox priest by the name of Gleb Yakunin. And Gleb Yakunin... Not to be confused with the other guy. uh, Yeah, totally different in perspective. This guy got a lot of heat from the Russian Orthodox because he cared about the people. And he cared about the people more than enriching his institution. And so anyway, the Duma did this study of the KGB records, and what they found out was that not only were there people in the Russian Orthodox Church who had been collaborators with the KGB, but that the entire infrastructure from the from the patriarch 
who leads the uh, uh, Alexei, I think was her empire, uh, in Kirill, including Kirill, who led the Russian Orthodox Church down almost to the parish level. All of them were officers in the KGB. That's amazing. So so they weren't just collaborating so that they would leave their parishioners alone or maybe even take a little money on the side. These you always guys think of were them. actual officers. They were they were in the central committee meetings and and they just were, were basically planted in the church. You and always think of, of them as being against, against the Soviet Union. That's right. kind of how you right. how you how it's But it's like Orwell said the, yeah. the, 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 the the pigs were meeting with the farmers at this time. And so when that was exposed, of course, Gleb Yakutin was thrown out of the church. wasn't because he'd done anything wrong doctrinally. It's because he had exposed their corruption. And they're still in charge today. And in fact, they're so incredibly wealthy, and they have such control over the government that there were some guys that ran something almost like what you would call uh, uh, Comedy Central's show. Uh, uh, what's their new show in the evening? I can't think of it. Daily Show? Daily Show, yeah, something like that, where they were showing like these extremely expensive Rolexes that the patriarch that runs original their church wears and other uh, stuff. Well, they started passing laws. They put those guys in jail for for showing that. And in fact, the Russian Orthodox Church went and uh, colored out the, the watch where it disappeared, but it had already been saved, but people couldn't see it. So... They there's don't a, want to see the opulence of what these people are going through. There's a gif out there of the uh, patriarch being like put into a car. Yeah, and and they he has like this little cross on top of his like little hat, you know. Yeah, and they just like little golden cross, and they and they put the cross down when they put him in the car. It's like a little. <laughs> well, that's such an important point, Adam. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> that's critical to our understanding of the geopolitics. A little bit of levity. Well, I'm just glad that's the one thing you took away from my writing. <laughs> deflective like a hood ornament. Deflectable cross doodad on the well, top. Well, so. you got to protect the cross. Uh, you I'm know? not it's... talking to Homer Simpson, am I? You got a little cross it bit over. <laughs> oh, I'm just giving you a hard time. But uh, it's not, I mean, the Russian Orthodox Church has, any time, I'm convinced now where you have a, institutional hierarchy like that it doesn't matter if it's church it, it could be just like other institutions you, you corruption is endemic and it totally they totally lose what the whole point is what the calling was for their institution and the russian orthodox church is is terrible about that but even if you go over and 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 one of the sort of weird things i talk about is their emphasis now on mount athos in greece as the mystical center of the orthodox church now, people need to understand that the, the Orthodox Church and worldwide is huge. The Russian Orthodox Church is the biggest part. Right. And you have the what you call the ecumenical patriarch, which is supposed to be like the first among equal leaders, and he's in Constantinople, uh, uh, you, know, or, you know, in that area. And he's supposed to, but, but the Russians have decided they really want to supplant. And, and and in effect, because they're actually, the Russian Orthodox Church is bigger than the other Orthodox churches. Yeah, it's and the they have really one. fed their own yeah. thing. But but they really promote Mount Athos as where this weird mystical land where these these hermits live. Women are not allowed on the property. The, it sort of falls under the European Union. And so they have rules against, you know, gender discrimination and stuff. Even they couldn't get the rules to allow women to go there. Um no female animals are allowed 
because they might be seen copulating with other animals and that they don't want the monks seeing that. So they're not allowed female animals to see messing around with the, you know, male animals. Uh, But they have this view of being hermits that are just living, you know. But it turns out these guys are real savvy money movers and stuff like that. And the head of the largest monastery there, it was actually a, a Greek priest at Vato Petty is the name of it. I don't know how you pronounce it there. But anyway, this Arch, this uh, Archmenadrite Ephraim, he was running this money laundering operation. And he basically, you know, when Greece folded and had all their crisis, a lot of it was due to the Orthodox Church there at Mount Athos. Really? These, these poor monks were running an operation where they totally conned the government and sold them this worthless property. And then got all this valuable inner city Athens office property. Had nothing to do with religious things, but they were making a gold mine. And then they started laundering it through all these shell companies in Cyprus. I mean, it was a sophisticated operation. It's the same operation that they have now found that uh, Paul Manafort and these other guys have been sending money through Cyprus as well, too. Really? And evidently, for Orthodox slash Russian connected spheres, Cyprus is a common place to set up these things to avoid avoid money. So, um, but again, that's that's sort of part of the corruption they have there. But you know, to to get the Russian people excited that now this is getting ready to be their era where they're going to control global things. They've went and gone to Mount Athos and elsewhere and taken the right hand of John the Baptist and is touring around Russia. Uh, they've taken uh, Mary's girdle that they, you know, this this has means nothing to me from my background of Christianity. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there was nothing in the Bible that said any of this stuff should mean anything. It's it's to me idolatry, if anything. But but they are. It really inspires them that there's something special and something I didn't know about either in the Orthodox world is that um, they believe in the miraculous appearance of the holy fire in the Church of the Sepulchre in Jerusalem each Easter Eve. And they go in there, the Orthodox minister it, and it's over this slab where they think Christ was buried under this tomb. And they swear that, of course, only the priests are allowed to see it. They'd never film it, of course. But there's this blue glow that comes out of it around it. And this cool blue flame comes out that you can put your hand in. It reminds me of Raiders of the Lost Ark or something, you know, uh-huh. where yeah. this blue flame comes and they put their hand in it. And it suddenly simultaneously lights all of the candles in the church, including the ones remotely away from it. So then all these these pilgrims are outside from all over the world and they come out and light these candles. Now, one of the main guys financing a lot of this is Vladimir Yakunin. And he comes and he has his own private plane and they fly this special fire. It's like the Olympic torch. And they fly it from there to all the churches in Russia. And they light it in there. And that's to, that's to motivate them. It kind of reminds me of that movie we watched with uh, William Shatner in it. The uh, uh, Incubus? No, the, uh, the one on the airplane. Oh, yeah. Horror at 37,000 feet. <laughs> one of the most memorable movies of the week of the 1970s. Yeah. Right. Right. That was a head buddy Ebsen and Chuck Connors in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like sort of a pantheon of 70s goodness. <laughs> what about, uh, you, you also talk about in this book, because I've read some of it, you talk about uh, uh, Pussy Riot. Yeah. And what happened with that. Yeah, and yeah. just how they. Of course, all we hear that. Now, I'm, I'm going to speak for, for sort of the moralistic religious crowd. 
what whatever came to my care. Now, in circles, maybe you might be familiar with some of your listeners. They may have truly recognized them as somewhat heroic figures. All I got laundered back to me was that, oh, these are just some nasty, no good kind of girls that are just sacrilegious and, you know, and yeah. trying to make a name for themselves. Well, it turned out the, these women were mothers. They were extremely literate, very poetic, and were concerned about their country. And they they express themselves maybe not in the way I would express myself, but they do it in the only way that can really get attention about the factors. And they were exposing the corruption of the Russian Orthodox Church in basically this partnership they had made with Putin, where basically they will strong-arm any opposition that comes up to speak against him. And uh, the Russian Orthodox Church basically plays a heavy-handed role in silencing opposition to Putin, who they call a gift from God. That's their, you know. But anyway, when Pussy Pussy Riot went in to one of the famous Orthodox churches, I think they were in there for something like 30 seconds and did this little song about the corruption. Of course, that got them in trouble, was pointing at the corruption of the Russian Orthodox Church. Yeah, there was hardly anybody in the church. Anybody in the church. Nothing really going. They didn't hurt any property. Nothing was done to it. And the Russian Orthodox Church pulled strings to have the book thrown at them. Now, these were some women that had small children at home, and the Russian Orthodox Church wanted these women to basically spend a good long time in jail for having done a song for 30 seconds. Not because the the laws that now have been passed in Russia, if you disrespect the Russian Orthodox Church, you go to jail. I think it's a minimum five-year sentence for anything, and the Russian Orthodox Church is the one who decides. In other words, if you would critique them, if you would mm-hmm. criticize their corruption, that's disrespecting the Russian Orthodox institution, and you go to jail. And th- these are the great guys that we have a lot of our church folks. Now, if you go into religious right here in America, they bring their leadership of the Russian Orthodox Church here and parade them around to all the, the religious right conferences and say how they're the role model because they, they clamp down on the gays. Because they got to the gays, they're automatically good. Who cares what evil they do? They They hate the people we hate, so... They yeah. got to be good, you know. Yeah. And so, because they target, or, 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 uh, for example, Jehovah's Witness, or you know, people like that, they go after. And so now they're being touted as, you know, uh, Franklin Graham sings their praises, and I can give you a long list of the, the people, you know, um, um, Rick Paul Wiles. Jr. Rick Wiles is one of the guys I was oh, reading yeah. about today. He's, yeah, they uh. they say that. Uh, one of the religious right leaders calls Putin the, the lion of Christianity, you know. But at the same time, the same, these same Russian Orthodox leaders have passed laws, and the last set of laws were passed last summer, where if you're not Russian Orthodox or one of the, quote, traditional religions, which includes Islam, by the way, Islam, Judaism, or others, but if you're, say, a Baptist, for example, or a Methodist or something like that, you're called a sect. Right. And... If you set foot outside of the few churches they've let them keep, if you set foot, even just invite somebody to church or invite them to Bible school or vacation Bible school or something, that's punishable by a prison offense. You can't even mention anything outside your church building, anything about your faith or anything like that. And they're sending people to jail, and they're closing churches left and right. Meanwhile, these Baptists and other people, their peers in the states are praising these Russian leaders for what they're doing. I mean, it's just total perversion. 
I mean, they're not even looking out for their fellow peers who are trying to spread the gospel. And, uh, you know, of course, their argument is, oh, all these people are just agents of the U.S. government. Now, we know that there's CIA people and others that have infiltrated all these groups. We now know the Russian Orthodox Church and the KGB are basically one and the same. In fact, just another tidbit that I documented here, one of the most effective recruiters of spies from the U.S. for Russia have been documented to be high Russian Orthodox Church officials. In fact, the highest-ranking military official, I believe he was a colonel, full-bird colonel, that was flipped to support the Russians was done so by like an Archimedite in the Russian Orthodox Church that actually got him to, to flip to it. So here I, I thought all along they're supposed to be doing the Lord's business, but they're busy doing their spy work. And I can lay you dollars to donuts that the same thing's going on in the religious right today because their agenda and the CIAs have the same thing too. And so I don't say that to disparage the Christian message or the gospel because there are people really living it and there are people doing what Jesus said. It's just those institutional people with the money, uh, they're bankrupt and we need to expose them. People who love Jesus need to be the first people to expose them. And point out too that, you know, the KGB just basically became, what is it? The FSB now. FSB, yeah. And so a lot of that. Changed their initials. So a lot of that, that apparatus just became that and probably, you know, that, well, the Orthodox fact, Church guys that were used to be in the KGB just went over to the FSB, and right. so now you everybody's kind of the government. Now it's the, the government and the and the the church are right there in cahoots with each right. other because Putin supports them. There's another related institution that that is recognized in Russia that runs Russia, and there I I don't know I can't remember exactly how to pronounce it. It's like the Siloviki or something in Russia. It's basically the security state operatives. These are people who worked in intelligence, who worked for the military, who worked in some security forum. Those are the people who are now sort of supplanted the oligarchs that are running Russia, and they run everything. They've been given all of the institutions to run, the state institutions, and, and they're, they're almost sort of like the, the 1920s, roaring 20s here, where they, uh, they do hits on each other. They're rivals. Uh-huh. Uh, nobody else is running anything except for these groups, evidently. And I go through them in depth. They even they even have alliances with groups like Christian evangelical groups here that form something like the the Russian Christian University in Moscow. Uh, they have all these weird things that they're connected to doing, but it's these things are all meant to promote the Russian views in the rest of the world. That's all that they exist for. But these Silovikli, they'll, they'll do hits in the streets where they'll rub out people regularly on who's controlling these kind of things. They're spreading westward and controlling, you know, more things that way. But um, the, these are the people who are running it. And the Russian people of goodwill, basically the only people who really have a shot are the young people. The young people are trying to fight it. But but Putin has figured out how to counteract that because he has formed what I guess you could best describe as his version of the Nazi youth movements. And he's had several versions, and one of the, the most memorable ones is one called Nashi. And a large part of all the young people of Russia belong to it. And they have these, they basically, you know, they teach them physical fitness and then martial arts and stuff. And they train them to be goons. Where they go, you remember like the Brown Church used to do in Hitler, in uh, Germany. They uh-huh. send Nashi, Nashi out 
And anytime there's opposition when the election's coming up for Putin and there's people marching and pointing out his corruption, they send them as thugs to go beat up the people who are marching in the streets. And the, the police turn the other way. They just look around like they can't see it. But but Nashi's being, and in fact, it's so weird. It's, I forget what you call those, it's not Liebenstrahl. What, what is the, uh, where they had the women that would breed the children, you know, for oh, the... Oh, Liebensborn. Yeah, Liebensborn. Yeah. They have a version of that there, too. They have these conferences there where they bring these people, and they have tents where they put in the Nashi youth to go in there and copulate because they want to breed, yeah, they want to breed lots of children. And it's right there, right in the middle of everybody of the thing. They go in there like it's, it reminds but, but no me of But no female like the, animals are involved, right? That's... Uh, hopefully not. But <laughs> but it reminds me a lot of like the Wicker Man, the original movie, you know, uh-huh. where they were just celebrating going there and losing your virginity and stuff. And they would want them to breed as much as they they could because their big thing is, because it's so depressing over there that, you know, people tend not to get married. They're not having kids. And in fact, it's not just Russia. You can see that in Japan, other societies in decline where, where the, the birth rate's going down. But they're, they're wanting to breed to basically just outnumber everywhere else. You know, I was raised in an evangelical culture where, where, of course, you brought your children to church and you hope they adopted what you believed in faith. But they it was understood they had to make their own decisions. You know, I've never been affiliated in churches that had uh, baby baptisms. A lot of Christian sects do. I I was raised in the evangelical ones where you had to make a personal decision yourself whether you believed it or not later. Um, But you you, you basically spread your beliefs by convincing people and appealing to them, and they're making their own independent choices. Well, a lot of these movements, it's all based upon outbreeding each other. And, you you know, you've got a lot of your non-evangelical Christian groups you know, they don't really offer anything that's really appealing to anybody, so they just got to hurry up and keep outbreeding to hopefully they can outnumber people to run things. And you've seen that in some Catholic countries. You've seen it in the Russian Orthodox countries yeah. and other places. And that's what they believe is they, they can just outbreed people, then that will increase their, their enforcement. But but the Purity Nazi, of the stock, I think, is a part of it, well, too. Well, yeah, that's right. it, too. And it's just sheer Breeding numbers. people, yeah. But, but Nashi is a, is a scary group because— they basically just go out there to be thugs and control people, and they still have versions of that today. And there's a, a fellow by the last name of Navalny, and he is basically the guy who refuses to bend to Putin and will expose his corruption and runs against him for president. And they, they'll say, oh, no, we give him full freedom. He has full freedom. And then they routinely grab him and beat him up, and they grab him out of crowds, <laughs> and he refuses to buckle. And so there's some, a few heroes over there. But that guy is taking it on the chin, and it would be so nice if the, quote, freedom-loving people in conservative America or the religious right would say, oh, here's a guy who's trying to stand up for freedom. Let's support him. No, you don't hear a thing about about these people. So it's just a, it's just a Putin fan. Well, that's because that Putin's better than that, that Obama. Uh-huh. That's right. Well, I mean, they He's, been he's very, still very, controlling everything from behind the scenes. Very, very clear No, Obama's that. still behind everything right. and is... Right. is uh, his his gay Muslim agenda. Mm-hmm. That's right. Which you know, it's just a natural <laughs> alliance: the gays and the Muslims. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 The yeah the the Muslims I, the I'm Muslims sure, don't throw them off buildings or anything. I'm sure like the that. gay leaders fly over to Riyadh to Saudi Arabia right, just to right, get their support right. from them because it's they're 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 so supportive, such a pro LGBT community. <laughs> Riyadh. 
<laughs> and you know, you speak of the gay community, and it's funny because a lot of Christian writers or readers that I would have, at one point I was hesitant to talk too much about the persecution of gays because it's just a turnoff. They'll throw away your book because they don't want to read that. Uh, but I realized that if I'm going to be an honest person, I got to basically admit what to me is the truth in that you see in a lot of these cultures persecution of the lesser understood or lesser favored groups like gay communities are basically the canaries in the coal mine. When, when, when people start, they, they start picking off, you know, people's always heard first they came after the so-and-so and then they came after sure. so-and-so. It's completely true and we never need to forget it. What, what these groups do is they try to start just picking off the most marginalized group, tackle them, they pick the next marginalized group and they were scapegoated in Russia as being the sole source of the problem on why they weren't having more babies in Russia. And maybe it could have been because, first of all, they had a Russian Orthodox church that really wasn't ministering spiritual needs to people and were known to be corrupt and a corrupt government. That could have had something to do with the depression of the people and why they turned to the bottle rather than having babies. But no, they, they scapegoated the gay community there for it. And so they became public enemy number one, and that's partly why the religious right here loves them is because they have extreme draconian laws against the gay community there. And then they started moving on the next marginal group. They didn't stop with the gays. Then they started going after the Jehovah's Witness. Well, a lot of people don't like Jehovah's Witness here because they knock on your door. They don't want to see them come, you know, <laughs> think they're weird, you know. And so now they've been going after them. And and they're very dedicated. Also, you know, Jehovah's Witness, who I have come to respect, they don't give their allegiance to nations as much as they are to the kingdom of heaven. Right. Which that is makes, really what we're supposed to do. Yeah, that makes them dangerous. Right. That's why the Nazis went after him too. Because right. they're 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 they weren't not even trusted here. allegiance to a state. Right. They right. don't they don't say a pledge of allegiance, which right. you, you look at a pledge of allegiance of all nations, including ours, they're open ended. There's no limits on that allegiance of what they ask of you, you know, based upon your allegiance to your God, for example. And so um they began persecuting them. And it never was enough. They made it more and more difficult until one day, and it was this year, actually. A lot of stuff I write about has happened in the last 12 months. They dressed up all these commandos in ski masks and black gear and simultaneously raided all of the the uh, Jehovah's Witness facilities, Kingdom Halls, and just basically busted in all of them. And it was caught on camera because they had cameras, security cameras, so it was being broadcast real time. They saw these thugs planting evidence on their shelves. Wow. Basically saying, oh, well, these guys were in league with U.S. security people or U.S. Uh, you know, intelligence people. And so they actually not only confiscated all the wealth that they had collected, they completely banned the practice of the faith at all, even in private. And, you know, the next ones will be next. Will it be Seventh-day Adventist? Will it be, you know, Baptist? Who, who's going to be the net Mormons? Mormons are getting a lot of persecution there well, now. Well, it sounds like the Russian Orthodox Church doesn't want any other competition no. from any other Christian from any other Christian. Well, because they have sect, nothing to offer. Quote, unquote. They have nothing right. that inspires people other than traditionalism and nationalism. They don't have anything that's of a spiritual nature. Which is a shame because they say they believe the gospel. That alone would do it. 
But when they see all the wealth that they've collected and facilities, uh, Putin and Yakutin are paying fortunes to build all these ornate facilities. And, you know, they they live very, very comfortable lives, the, the yeah. top brass in the Russian Orthodox Church. Um, when they see all this, that doesn't inspire the public at all. I mean, they don't, none of them go to church. I mean, they're, they're not inspired enough to be affiliated or involved in it. So they have nothing to offer. So if people hear the real good news and the real gospel unvarnished with all this other kind of stuff uh, and, and, you know, have real spiritual needs met with some supernatural power behind it, well, that's a threat to them. Now, they're not threatened by Judaism or Islam because Judaism or Islam, for the most part, is spread simply by breeding. You don't see a lot of Jewish evangelism, you know, unless you're wanting to be in the entertainment world like Sammy Davis Jr. and become one, so you have more connections. I mean, that's really the yeah. only way you see it. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the favorites of the religious right, uh, Ivanka Trump, I mean, she had to renounce Jesus Christ to become a Orthodox Jew. Nobody talks about that in the Christian circles. But that was because it was sort of a royal marriage, you know, of convenience to do that. Uh, Islam, the most that you see mostly for recruiting like that of the message, they do some, mostly in our prisons. Yeah. In places like that, and you have people who are disgruntled because of a, a Christian America turned their back on them, so they find an opening. Um, so, so yeah, the Russian Orthodox Church, they don't have anything really to offer, so they got to keep out that competition of people who have something tangible spiritually to offer people uh, for their dignity, and they're, and they're in cahoots with Putin to do it. Explain this third Rome concept. Well, uh most, I'll just get a little cursory thing of history people don't know. When Constantine came along, he was just another regular Roman emperor. He supposedly claims he had a supernatural event where he saw a cross in the sky. He was a pagan. He saw some cross in the sky. He said by this sign conquer. He was in the midst yep. of a civil war. Uh, was it Lavinius? I forget the guy he was fighting. But anyway, he was fighting for control of the Roman, as they often did. You know, when there was the death of a Caesar, they would fight who could gain control. And he happened to get the upper hand. And he took that as a sign that this God was higher than others. And so he sort of made it official that Christendom, or, you know, he defined Christendom, that Christianity could be like a religion of the the society, even though he still worshiped pagan gods on the side, Saul Invictus and these other ones. Right. And so shortly after that, he moved the capital to Constantinople which was probably pretty smart because he got away from the all the vandals and the other savages that you know bearing down on Rome from northern Italy. So he moved it to there sort of in the center of the world and formed uh, yeah, that really became Rome, the center place, but there was still a center of gravity in in Rome itself. So Rome became the Latin west and then at Constantinople was the Greek speaking east. And they had a long, long empire that stuck around long after Rome fell, uh, up finally until 1453 when Byzantium, what they called Byzantium, that empire, uh, they considered themselves the heirs of Rome. It fell to the Muslims finally. And so what Russia believes, since out of there came missionaries who led uh, Prince Vladimir in 988 AD in Russia or in Kiev to become uh, Christian over the Holy Roost, and he dictated that everybody had to be Christian. They believe that in the big arc story of God's plan for the world was that 
as Constantinople became the second Rome and survived for roughly a thousand years after the, the Western Rome fell, that that Russia and the Holy Rus area, including Eastern Europe, was meant to be the third Rome. And they yeah. really think that this really now is starting to be their golden age right now and that they're getting ready to fill their oats. And that's why these battles like the Civil War in Ukraine in Georgia and places like that are so important to them because that is like their Stalingrad right now. That is their battleground to maintain the control and then advance it westward. So they're putting a lot of their chips on the table. A lot of people don't know that in, for example, in Ukraine, a lot of the Russian Orthodox churches there basically were just housing troops. The troops and weapons and ammo were there in the churches. Of course, nobody would touch a church. But they were there and just admitting that they were there to train and to send out the Russian mercenaries to go fight in the Civil War over there. Because to them, that is a religious battle. That's why it truly is a holy war that they're fighting. But they're fighting it against us. I mean, the Muslims aren't the main people they're fighting. It's They're, they're fighting the, the Christian West. It's also important to remember about the Fourth Crusade, which didn't involve Russia, but was when the... Western Crusaders took over Constantinople right? for about, I think, 60 right. years or something. Right. And so there's a paranoia that the Russians have. So for some reason, they picked up this paranoia from that, that the West is always out to get them. Right. Right. Oh, it's interesting. I conclude the book and the conclusions. It's a very, very brief 95-page conclusion section in the book. Um, I conclude with... Uh, a discussion of a documentary produced by one of the top Russian Orthodox officials. He's, uh, I think he's Archbishop Tikion, I believe. He's really more their public affairs guy. And uh, he talks about, I think it's called The the Fall of Byzantium is the name yeah, of the Yeah, I think I have seen this. It's like a 70-minute yeah. document. You can find it on YouTube. Yeah. In fact, even an English translated version. It gives the most unadulterated worldview of them. It's a good summary of explaining everything that they're doing in the world right now in Ukraine and all these other places. And um, basically what they show, they believe that Byzantium was the peak of all human achievement and knowledge. Anything good ever came out of Byzantium. And what happened is when the Crusaders came in there, which, by the way, I learned a little bit more about this, and I'm sure you know this because you're a, you're a whiz on history, I, I pretty much badmouth the Crusaders for invading their their Eastern European friends in Constantinople and the Crusades when I wrote about the Crusades. Yeah. But there was more even going on there. The 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 groups in Byzantium actually got jealous of the Venetian and other traders who had done a favorable trade deal and were getting wealthy in Constantinople. And there were civil riots that took over all of the, like the Catholic churches, all the Western Latin churches and the Venetian stuff, and took it over and basically took it away from their people in, in the riots. The mobs did it. And that was partly why they came back and invaded there, because they were going to restore. And, and the, the Venetian traders actually asked the, the uh, crusaders to go do that, to recover what they thought was stolen from them. Yeah, some of it was, I think, that the Crusader army actually had gotten into debt with the Venetians. 
And that's why and the, the Venetians, the Venetians essentially used them as a mercenary army right, to right. destroy who they wanted to destroy. Right. And there's no good one of those side is on Byzantium. Here. But yeah. what I learned was was that the Venetians, and I, you know, they're not heroes by any respect. But but the Byzantines were not innocent themselves. Right. Out right. of jealousy, they stole and took over the stuff these people, and they were just recovering by treaty, even if it was like a rotten treaty for them. What was rightfully theirs, but. What happened, what, what their argument is, uh, it, it's very, very anti-Western and very anti-Semitic, was that they teach that anything that happened positive in Western Europe, like the Renaissance, uh, the rise in knowledge or beauty, any kind of art, anything, was nothing but stolen Byzantine treasures. They still taught that European, Western Europeans were still complete savages. That's the words they use. They were savages, and they just plundered Constantinople. And anything that we marvel about, the great artists of Italy or France or any of this stuff, was nothing but they were just using stuff. And they even say that the, the Western Europeans invented the pawn shop as places to plunder and sell Byzantine goods. And, in fact, the Jewish cities were invented as pawn shops. Uh, and they, they particularly implicate the Jews for... Selling Byzantine treasures. Oh yeah, there's there's a there's a big streak of anti-Semitism in Russia. Well, it's it's that's it's why huge. you need to read the conclusions to this book because when they carefully they it's a masterful piece of propaganda this documentary because what they show is everything is unmistakably in line with their agenda in the 21st century. They talk about these borderlands and how they're trying to preserve the legacy of the borderlands, how the Eastern Europeans, they allowed uh, Western banker interest and Western um, confederacies, economic confederacies, to come weaken the bonds of all the different cultures and ethnic groups uh, in, in separate communities of the Byzantine Empire. And it's an exact thing what they're arguing why the EU, they want to keep out of the Eastern European countries and like in Ukraine and Georgia and these other countries to not have them come in because it weakens the common Orthodox Byzantine bond that they have of yeah. control. And so they've, they've come up with this ingenious pseudo-spiritual historical context that all they're doing is protecting the empire against these unscrupulous. And whenever the documentary shows Western European business interest or other people coming over, they put them in the Venetian mask, like eyes wide shut when they show on the documentary. Uh, so, you know, th th there's nothing remotely Christian or moral or anything, anything that comes, you know, um, you know, any far west of Central Europe. It's, it's all evil coming on just to rape and plunder them, and they're completely purely driven. But everything is masterly done to show all of their actions to preserve that belt. Of, basically, it's the old Warsaw Pact that they're trying to keep. Um, they are actively in discussions about carving up these nations with, with Germany. And they're having meetings in Germany now. They're, 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 the major hard-right movements in Europe right now that are winning elections are being funded with Russian money and getting Russian support and are closely aligned to Putin and his people. They've got Hungary under their belt. They've got Poland. Now they've got Austria. Uh, they're getting closer in France now. There's a number of other nations that I could list that they're starting to take over. And uh, when you get into their control, even in our elections, 
they have a group called like it's like the Internet Research Group or something like that. Very innocuous name, but it's the main thing where the oligarchs and the Russian government fund money to support uh, the hard right movement that does like Charlottesville. Um, they're the ones running all the Facebook organizations. They're not only running the hard right, but they're also funding some pseudo Black Lives Matter groups. So they're really? going to the other side and funding them too, and it's been discovered and proven that, that, that that's where the money. They are bogus groups that are being funded simply to enrage people, and they know these radio guys will uh, pick up and exacerbate it, make it worse, to basically just totally split and splinter America, cause dissent, yeah, and, cause and problems. You know, what's, what's sad is, in a way, as as evil as. Uh, um, um, What's his name? This FBI director uh, who died, uh, Hoover. Yeah, you know Hoover would claim the communists were were doing a lot of these movements to splinter and divide American stuff. Well, he he did evil stuff by going in there and causing these things to make these people worse and to drive them from supporting the U.S. because of the evil he was doing in the name of these people. But there's a little bit of truth to that in that it is an old Russian tactic to bet on both sides as long as they're extremist groups to get them to fight and to get Americans fighting Americans. Interesting. And they've been caught red-handed now. This is not this is not some kind of left-wing rumor or something by just people, you know, against Trump. They've got red-handed information that these guys are are doing it and it's coming right out of Moscow. Rob, was there anything that you wanted to ask? Um, I always put him on the spot, <laughs> Dr. Future. Yeah, I, always... yeah. I, I know very little about um, any of what we just heard. I actually spent the whole time, as usual, trying to keep up with <laughs> where we're at in the <laughs> conversation. It's a, it's a lot of information. And meandering as I was, because, you know, it, writing this for 14 months, it's hard for me to remember all the exact facts and figures. Oh, yeah. I have to go back to yeah. the text because oh, yeah, sure. there's so much. But I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense, though. All the various tactics and well, you know, I mean, you and the listeners know that that I'm a practicing Christian. I really believe the gospel. I believe Jesus raised from the dead. But I see more and more that aside from my little humble local church and the real honest guys there that and the people who work there trying to help people and they don't have any other agenda other than that. But once you get above that into these other kind of celebrity groups that are media figures it's hard to find people who are not using religion for their own purpose. And in fact, if people like me who really believe in the core message can align with people who may be skeptical, but also are decent moral people and want to get together and expose these people for what they are, it can actually have a boomerang effect and actually unite us a lot. You know, there's a, uh, I've met a lot of people who come from a very, very different background than me spiritually who I've come to admire because of their basic morality, their basic belief in truth and being decent to their fellow man. And there are good things can happen when we get together and expose the people who are the con men. And one of the main overarching themes that emerge out of my writing, at least to my eyes, is that these, these quote, holy wars where people use these religious-fueled wars for their own, and they're, and they're deadly or at least they're coercive in behavior— um, they take all sorts of different forms. And we got to watch people who are like us. You know, there may be some people listening to this who tend to have more of maybe an Ayn Rand kind of streak or, you know, a super libertarian streak. 
Well, they got dark elements in that community. There's got people here that are very much in a very nationalistic, traditionalistic bent, you know? They may be Odin worshipers listening here. I don't know. <laughs> they tie into Could all be, of it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, they tie into all of it. The runes yeah. and all these emblems, that stuff uh, Dugan writes about. He's really, really big. Uh, his god that he basically worships is a circle with arrows coming out of it. It's called chaos. Mm. And he believes in chaos. And it's funny. He talks about this and writes this stuff in his book. You also find it in Crowley's books. Well, if you go back and watch these white uh, supremacist battle, they're wearing shirts with that same white circle with the arrows coming out everywhere. They're not helping anybody. They're not helping nationalist people who are decent, good people. They're not helping globalists who want to be good people to the people of the world or religious people or non-religious or anything. These are people that have their own agendas and they're a danger to every one of us. And, you know, if it's, if it's not religion, they'll use an ideology I mean, Ayn Rand has her own ideology that's non-religious. She hates Jesus and everything he stands for. But it motivates people to do extreme measures. Communism had its motivation to do extreme measures. Um, there's a lot of different things that could motivate people to, to take people's lives. But there is something to be said for the basic virtue of the, of the golden rule of doing unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And I have never met a single person who didn't admit that that was not a good idea. Absolutely. No matter how different than they were than me or my background or culture or whatever, if they're a halfway decent person, they say, you know, I can't argue with that. In fact, in the last volume of this book series, I point out a document that was the only document that the and basically the top leaders of the entire Muslim world signed because they're as splintered or split up even more than Christians are. And the Shia, Sunnis, all the top leaders in all the major portions of the Muslim world signed a document to the Christian world. It was called a word, a common word between us. And basically what they said is, we recognize our difference in our religion and you all. It's a clash of civilizations. Blood is being shed. It's causing global catastrophe. They said, you know, one thing we recognize is that we both agree in the two greatest commandments to honor God, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And they said, if we could both accept that, then all this this warring and fighting we're doing would come to a stop. And can we agree to that? And they sent that over to Christian the Pope and to Archbishop of Canterbury and other leaders. And even some evangelical leaders came on and said, you know, that's exactly what our faith teaches you know, Jesus said, on those two commandments rest all the law and the prophets. You know, love God, love your neighbors yourself. And so they signed their name on They said, hey, we'll meet you there. You know, that's a start. We can accept this. This is a big deal. The leaders of a lot of the seminaries and the other Christian colleges came down on these guys and exposed them for signing on to the enemy. And a lot of them backed off and took their names off of it because of this pressure of admitting basically what their faith already teaches. And so there's people in these other groups who recognize that we have some basic things of decency. We, even if you're a really super religious person and you've got really particular beliefs, there are things we can do that we can get along with each other and sit down and learn from each other. And But there is a, there is a brand, and you know, some of that came up in Future Quake, people we talked to terrified of what they would call ecumenism or giving up your faith or whatever. 
But I can tell you, I can sit down with somebody different than me, even a different, you know, sect of religion or whatever, and I don't have to give up what I believe one iota. Yeah. To be respectful, to listen. And I can tell you, I am really uh, intimidated and uh, impressed by a lot of people I know who are pure secularists, who don't, you know, they're agnostic, they don't believe they're God, but they have basic compassion and morality, and they give some of these Christian groups more respect than I would. Yeah. You know, I'm surprised they give them as much respect as they do. And that is a that is a high statement I make for them. And, you know, if Christians even believed their own faith and knew it well enough, they would recognize that latitude is there. When Paul went to Athens, which was, you know, the most pagan place on earth, and they believed a million different things there, and he could have gone on in true Jewish fashion like he was raised and just do a fire and brimstone sermon against those, you know, sick, going-to-hell pagans. And what does he do? He crawls up there, and he says, mm, I, I see you all are a very religious society. And he says, I see many gods here you're trying to honor. He says, I see this one unknown god. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about him. And he commented, he, he praised their philosophers. He appraised their things. He said, you all have a lot of wisdom. I'm just going to add you some more information about it. And largely, his information was well-received. It's the fire-breathing zealots that think, like Phineas, you know, in the Old Testament, he took the spear and ran it through the Israelites, the Midianites, you know. They think everybody's meant to be that kind of zealot, that that's what God is looking for. And it's, it, it's, it's definitely not what Jesus came and preached and talked about. And, you know, there's peace-loving people in Judaism, too, that recognize its foolishness. There's Sufis and other Muslims who know that, because I know them. I've met them. I've been around them. Yeah. And, uh... But the the thing about this talk, the, the thing, it was so much in current events because the white supremacist movement has strong Russian affiliation. The, the separatist movement, secession movements, all of these hard right victories in Eastern Europe, all are tied to the Russian centerpiece. And that's why I wrote this having unplanned was that it was all out of today's headlines and news. And it is a holy war nobody's given attention to, but it can have an effect on all of us. Yep. Very well said, Dr. Future. When's the book coming out? The books. Oh, boy. The, the, the million dollar oh, question. Boy. You know, I mean, it's not like I say, oh, well, I, I say hopefully then, you know, I'm put on the spot and then it yeah. doesn't happen. I don't do that on purpose. I'm writing around the clock. It's just that I want to make sure it's all there. Because yep. I could just croak and fall over dead after it. And I want to make sure something's out there. So and, I'll say this, volume eight, which is like, it's probably the juiciest by far. I mean, it gets into some really creepy stuff, but it needs to be on the street. Um, I, I think right now I can probably crank out another 450 pages of its content, hopefully by mid-year. And then, then we're in the cleanup phase. Uh, I got to add about probably 50 to 100 pages to volume nine. I need to split up volume three into two and add about 100 pages to it, split up volume four. And just do some cleanup and editing, and then it'll be out. I know that sounds like, but it sounds like a lot. Well, it's what it takes. Excellent. It's what it takes. Excellent. And we want to have you on to hey, talk about each one of the books. We just got this new tax plan. We're getting ready to have Nirvana now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody's yeah. going to be so rich now. <laughs> the common people are just going to be, you know, it's just going to be seventh heaven. So well, we got all the time in the world. Nothing bad could happen. I, I also want to apologize to you, Dr. Future, because. Oh, good. You don't. <laughs> I 
I would prefer cash remuneration. Because you don't. Because you 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 missed you you missed out on on Luke. Luke's not here. Uh, well, it, I could have had some intelligent conversation <laughs> <laughs> from someone who's in the know on on the spiritual matters and could have had. <laughs> he could have said, uh, "What about DMT? <laughs> Tell me about ayahuasca." He would have just asked Rob about it. Uh, okay. <laughs> so All sorry, right. I couldn't contribute. Please give uh, Luke my high regards. We will. We will. Uh, I'm going to interpret this that he was basically protesting my visit here, and that's why. Well, he just here. he he he. We're 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 pushing for him to switch his work day so he can come back. Okay. So 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 be patient, everybody. I know everybody well, misses him. He's so committed to his career. I mean, the guy's a worker. All he thinks about is advancement in his career. So you got to be patient with him. Yeah. You know, he needs to not be so GQ. Yeah, he's on the cover of Forbes this week, so that's why. He reminds me of Michael J. Fox in Growing Pains or whatever that show was, you know. Well, you know, he is our our Alfred E. Newman because he's like the, uh, he's the poster boy for Good Spirit Normal. Is he? Yeah. I was thinking he was more like uh, Dr. Steve Brule. (laughs) I think guys will close out the show here. Thank you so much, Dr. Future, for joining us. Sorry I meandered. I really did truly meander. That was was really great. I'll be actually organized, and why don't we just take this maybe one chapter at a time when the book's already come out, so... Yeah. We got a lot of, like, real meaty stuff, but I still want people to buy the book. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Rob, uh, tell everybody where they can find, or they can find our Patreon. Let's just... Yeah, check out our growing it till it's dead. Patreon community at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. Uh, we got bonus episodes, uh, different tiers of stuff. I got some wallpapers up there. Most of them feature Luke. Um, <laughs> check it out. Is that for sex appeal purposes? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Got some beefcake pictures of him. <laughs> hey, if I could tell people too, uh, I don't blog post very often. Sort of like yeah. uh, the world's most interesting man. But when I do... I post at uh, twospiesreport.wordpress.com um, because I'm trying to focus on getting these books done, and it's a Herculean task. But one that they might enjoy is just a few posts back. It was right after Charlottesville, and it's called something like The Religious Right and White Supremacist, A Match Made in Valhalla. And I think I think they'll enjoy some of the content in there. Absolutely. So check it out. Yeah, check that out. It- it's uh it's it's a good it's a good one and the uh it's a good blog and you get a lot of heated debates on there. Well, you can enjoy the trolls that are after me on Enjoy the trolls. Yeah, yeah, always enjoy the trolls. Probably all Russian. Yeah, probably. Well, um guys, that's not it for us this year. We're going to be back in uh next week in a few days from the time that you guys are going to hear this uh right before this year ends. Rob and I are going to do about maybe about 45 minutes to an hour uh, year in review of some of our, of the shows that we did in 2017. So guys, we'll be back and we'll talk to you soon. And everybody have a nice Christmas on Conspiranormal.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.